Welcome freaks and geeks, perverts and other queers. <laughs> My name is... <laughs> <laughs> ah, good intro. And other queers. How are you, Ricky? <laughs> My name's Jonathan Astro. AJ, how are you? What did you think of Ricky's bombastic uh, intro? I loved it. We're we're up for a good app, guys. Well, see, I was I was trying to do a counter from last week's, which was ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. <laughs> Yes. And you were like, that's not acceptable anymore. So, <laughs> oh, because we said that you were you were being heteronormative. That's and right. That's a right. bigot and a, yeah. and a transphobe and a, and a, a loser <laughs> and a, I don't know, whatever else. Whatever yeah, else uh, they're right. saying about you and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now this was good. This was good. Um, I think, you know, saying, I mean, this show is for, for queers. If you're a queer, then I don't know why you wouldn't like this show. True. I mean, we, you know, we talk about titties and chubbies, you know, a lot. And I think the word queer nowadays encompasses almost everyone on the planet from what I've <laughs> does. gathered. <laughs> so there you go. Like if you could, you could just put, um, you know, some nail polish on and, and a Smith's badge on your jacket and say I'm a queer. So, mm, yeah, you know, it's there the, you go. The, the label is for anyone who wants to stand out in the crowd. It is, and standing out of the crowd tonight is Phantom of the Paradise, our film for Sideboob Cinema, uh, which is a show you're watching, you're hearing us listening to, by the way. <laughs> I think we said that. If we didn't say that, it's Sideboob Cinema. So uh, Phantom of the Paradise, 1974, Brian De Palma. What's our relationship to the film, people? I have no relationship to the film whatsoever. Me neither, and I'm glad that I have one now. That's always the best when when you feel that there's been an injustice that's gone on. It's 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 more difficult when, you know, either one of us has a stake in it. It's like it's my favorite movie, or we watch it every year, or you're going on old information where you're like, you know, Bill Murray and Stripes is really funny, and you <laughs> and then you watch it, it again. It really hurt, didn't it? It wasn't good. I actually, <laughs> did you know I had a better time in Weekend at Bernie's too than yes. I did with Stripes. Mm. Isn't that big? That's that telling, is, yeah. Don't you think that's big? That's real big. Like I, I laughed more. I was, in, I enjoyed it more. Good music as mm. well. So yeah. yeah, that is big. Well, I, I got to tell you, I again, I came came to this film not knowing what I was watching, and I even forgot that you said last week that it was a musical. <laughs> so I was like five minutes into it, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> what has John got us watching?" <laughs> And luckily, by about the halfway point, I was like settled down. I was like, okay, I, I get kind of what this movie's about. I see what it's doing, and I'm hooked. And, and I'm hooked. Yes, I was <laughs> hooked. I, and I think it's, I think it's great. I like it. Well, that's good, you know. Yeah, and I'm glad that you, you, you put so much stock in my word. You know? <laughs> I say, watch this. It's good. And then your wife watches it and says, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, my wife was. Uh, Less kind to this film, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but this wasn't a total, well, we'll get to this later, but it wasn't a total, like it wasn't a parade of misogyny like usual, which is no, what no, I normally recommend. Mm. I think she would have preferred that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 20th Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise, a gothic horror story. What was that? A beautiful love story. Love, baby. 
A cinematic odyssey through the rock universe. From Greece to glitter and beyond. The story of a sound, the man who created it, the girl who sang it, the monster who stole it, and the phantom who haunts the paradise, the ultimate rock palace. Phantom of the Paradise. My music is for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else that tries, dies. Phoenix. Phoenix. Well, you told me one time that you'd be somebody, that you weren't working just to survive. B. Man, you better get yourself a castrato for this. Paul Williams as Swan. And the angels that I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. And the Phantom. Phantom of the Paradise. So, Phantom of the Paradise is about Winslow Leach. Uh, an out-of-work composer who has talent but can't seem to catch a break. So mega producer Swan, played by uh, Paul Williams, hears his music by chance after Winslow sneaks into a concert show. Now Swan uh, looking is looking for the next big sound, right? So he wants, but he wants the music uh, that Winslow produces, but not the man. He's not interested in the man. So he decides to steal Winslow's epic rock cantata without Winslow's knowledge and begins auditioning young hopefuls to perform it at the at his rock palace, the Paradise, which is set to open soon. At an open audition, which turns out to be just a sleazy casting couch affair set up by Swan and his cronies, Winslow sneaks in and meets Phoenix, played by Jessica Harper, uh, a starry-eyed ingenue uh, whom he has uh, immediate hot pants for. Um, in order to get rid of Winslow, Swan has him beaten up, then framed as a drug pusher and sentenced to Sing Sing. And the humiliations don't stop there. Winslow has his teeth removed and replaced with steel dentures. Uh, after hearing about the gold record success of one of his songs being performed by one of Swan's bands, The Juicy Fruits, Winslow flips out and escapes prison. In trying to destroy the record press at Swan's main building, he's jumped by a guard and falls into the machine, suffering burns to his face. Now deformed and flamboyantly dressed, Winslow haunts the paradise. First by trying to kill the Juicy Fruits uh, by bomb, and then he finally confronts Swan, but the savvy producer offers him a deal he can't refuse. He says Winslow can finally see his music produced the way he wants uh, and with the lead he wants, Phoenix. Uh, The creepy contract is signed in blood. Swan sets up Winslow in a studio, gives him an electronic voice box, and the music flows, but Swan sidelines Phoenix, resenting her suitability, or perfection rather, and instead hires an enigmatic glam rocker called Beef, to perform Winslow's music. He steals the music again and seals Winslow up in his studio. Winslow escapes and threatens Beef, threatening him and saying, never play my music or you will die. So Beef tries to flee, but he's talked into staying. He performs wonderfully and is killed on stage by Winslow. In need of a performer, the team get Phoenix to perform and she's a revelation. 
So we come to our final act. Swan seduces Phoenix and promises her stardom. Winslow confronts her, telling her to flee, uh, but she's having none of it. Finally fulfilling her dreams, Winslow tries to kill himself with a knife, but it won't work because his soul is now entwined with Swan. The contract, uh, which we now realize is supernatural, uh, terminates with Swan. Winslow discovers that Swan himself made a deal with the devil in which he can remain young forever as long as the videotape of the contract exists. Swan is set to marry Phoenix and and Winslow storms the show. In a flurry, he unmasks Swan as a grotesque monster. Swan tries to kill Phoenix. Winslow kills Swan, ending his contract, which causes him to die in Phoenix's arms. Credits. (laughs) (laughs) Makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what a ride! It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, AJ. Crazy. Good ride. <laughs> it's a good ride. I really enjoyed it. Well, did you? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to unpack. There so, is. I mean, I feel like you know, I feel like I'm missing a lot of context. Do you know what I mean? Like this film's from 1974. Now that is almost 50 years ago. Now. Uh, you really do, but because you know, we I suppose we to a large extent we grew up in the nineties or whatever, um, and the late eighties. You sort of think that 1974 is a little closer than it is. Mm. It was, I read this the other day. It said that nineteen eighty is now closer to nineteen thirty nine. Well, is the same distance from nineteen thirty nine uh, as twenty twenty one is from nineteen eighty. <laughs> So think about that. 1980 and 1939, we've now got that same gap between now and 1980, and this is even before that. So I really do feel like that this – how'd that make you feel, AJ? <laughs> Fucking old. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's. I just felt like this was from a completely different world, like, mm. you know, so contextually I'm missing so much. Like what the fuck is the paradise even? I mean, I know, but I do I, do, I know, you know? Like <laughs> yeah, it's a concert hall – um, like we're all such housebound losers now. We were before COVID <laughs> as, a, yeah. as a society and now it's even worse. So the idea of going somewhere, um, you know, to, you know, this sort of rock palace where they record and play music and groupies go there seems like mm. just something I just cannot imagine, you know. Mm. Now, do you have any tapes of your stuff? No, but it's all written down here. Uh, well, why don't you give us just two or three of the really good up numbers? Two or three up numbers? <laughs> you don't understand. The scope of this cantata is two or three hundred pages long and I haven't finished yet. Well, never mind the sonata. We just want the songs. <laughs> it's not just songs. It's more. It's much more. I don't get you, kid. Well, it's a whole series of songs that tell the story of Faust. Who? Faust. What label's he on? <laughs> Faust was a legendary German magician who sold his soul to the devil for worldly experience and power. What is this, kid? School time? I got a plan to catch. Look, a song is a song. You either dig it or you don't. I like your stuff, kid. I think it's terrific. You know what? What? I think the juicy fruits are gonna dig it. The juicy fruits? Not promising anything. First one. I'm not going to let my music be mutilated by those grease balls. I'm the only one who can see Faust. Relax, kid. It was just an idea. Swan makes all these decisions, you know? It's definitely of its time. And that sort of experience people in the late 60s and early 70s were were craving that uh, that sort of collective experience. And, I mean, I've actually got quite a bit to say about um, this genre in general, which I don't know if we want to open it up now or 
talk well, a little bit well, more what surface. Is, but well, what is the genre? So the genre is basically a, a, a classical rock fusion. Uh, there were several of these sorts of uh, experiments in the in the well, the late sixties into the early seventies, and yeah, basically a couple of references, a couple of works that people might be familiar with is Deep Purple uh, did a concerto for group and orchestra, which was performed in nineteen seventy. So that was basically. Uh, yeah, like a violin concerto or a piano concerto, but the solo instrument essentially is Deep Purple. So Deep Purple with orchestra, and that was actually composed by John Lord, who was the organ player of Deep Purple. And it was actually quite a success, I think, because John Lord was was quite the musician himself. And so there are other examples. You've got a band called Procol Harum, which uh, I oh, think they were the first. Hazy, what's their song called? I, I, I... Yeah, the uh, Whiter Shade of Pale. Whiter Shade of Pale. <laughs> That's right. And so they, I think they're, they're credited as being like the first rock band to ever play with an orchestra. Then uh, another UK band called Barclay James Harvest, they actually employed their own orchestra and did gigs. Um, so there was this um, sort of experimentation with form and with uh, fusion of classical music, classical instrumentation with, uh, with rock music. And so, so just for context, are we saying that Paul Williams uh, in Phantom of the Paradise, who did the music, are we mm-hmm. saying that Winslow's music in the film is this genre? It's yeah, it's t- it's closely tied to the genre for sure. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting because I actually, uh, when I was studying music, I actually wrote an honors thesis on a piece of music called Wings, which uh, is a, a very uh, amazing piece of music it's actually a concept album but it's a a classical rock symphony and uh paul williams actually wrote the text for that and worked with a composer a french guy called michel colombier and that's actually how i know how i know of paul williams was through that to begin with so you know but he's done a lot as as a composer and a, a songwriter in his own in his own right but i think it's important to understand sort of the backdrop to these experiments which was obviously the vietnam war which had extensive media coverage for, for the first time. Um, the first time a war had that much sort of uh, media coverage, especially on TV. Then you've got the space program, which uh, gave sort of a sense of wonder and the, the ever-expanding influence of the USA. Um, it was kind of America's endless fluid frontier, um, which also kind of symbolized the promise of democracy. Then you've got the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which is the rebellious nature of the youth railing against their parents' generation. Um, but we also saw at this time as like the baby boom era saw an explosion in high school graduates and college students. And many of the musicians of that era, particularly those in the UK, went to art college. And so musicians like the Beatles, Frank Zappa, The Who, The Doors, and Deep Purple they began to challenge the audience by working with more extended musical forms and drawing inspiration for their own compositions from classical music and also classical literature as well. So you can see that influenced some of these bands uh, by their names. So the band Big Brother, that comes from George Orwell's 1984, which was written in 1948. Then you've got The Doors, which comes from The Doors of Perception, the novel by Aldous Huxley. Uh, Stephen Wolfe uh, comes from Herman Hesse's Stephen Wolfe from 1927. You've got the Ides of March, which is the William Shakespeare, uh, comes from Julius Caesar. And so from that, you get these musicians that are quite aware of art and literature and their 
coming of age and they're making their mark musically. So uh, yeah, you get you get those artists that I just mentioned, Proco Haram, you get uh, Barclay James Harvest, Deep Purple, also Tommy, the Rock Symphony, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, they were like a prog rock trio and they got famous by doing classical, uh, like rock renditions of classical music, like they do Charles Ives Fanfare for the Common Man, which is a famous one. If you ever grew up in sort of the 80s and early 90s and you ever saw the start of a cricket match on TV, they'd play that. Uh, but but the, I guess the reasons for rock groups kind of taking influence from classical music was prestige, really. So performers who don't really compose their own material, you know, sort of like girl groups or Motown acts, you know, they rarely get the critical respect that, that you know, uh, that solitary composing geniuses would, you know. Uh, but also fusing rock music with classical music is another way for young people of that time to rebel and stick it to their parents, you know. I mean, that's the ultimate rebellion is like, I'm going to take your stuffy classical music and I'm going to, you know, rock it up a little bit. So that's sort of the background to this whole genre. And um, some are more orchestral and classical than others. Uh, so this one's sort of on the lighter side. It doesn't really have a big orchestral accompaniment. But in terms of the ambition and the form of it and the um, the more extended forms, the longer songs, that sort of thing, it, it's all drawn from this sort of place and this this influence. And I, I think I asked you this today, but like a mainstream, very mainstream example of something that might be a little bit related to this in that it's a concept album and has some of these features could be Meatloaf Spat Out of Hell and sure. Jim Stein yeah. and their, their album. Yep, Long songs, sure. yeah. like big operatic sound, mm. you know, storytelling, all yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you've got, you've also got on the other side of the camp, you've got things like Metallica's S&M, which is basically them performing their songs with orchestral accompaniment, which is sort of, you know, related, but less interesting because they're basically just doing their songs, but with an orchestra. Um, I think it's more interesting when you have these, uh, these more true collaborations or, or fusions of, of genres and, and of ensembles. I think it's more interesting. If you wrote this stuff, then why aren't you in there with Swan auditioning with singers? I don't know. There must be some mix-up. Oh, sure. They must not know who you are. Your name's not on the music. Well, that's funny. Swan heard me sing that song. Why is he auditioning girls for my cantata? I only sing it solo. Haven't you heard? What? He's opening the paradise with it. You're kidding. Do I look like a kidder? He's opening the paradise with my cantata? Yes, isn't that great? Gee, I wish he told me. He's just auditioning girls for a backup chorus. But you're really a fine singer. You shouldn't waste your time singing in a chorus. I don't care where I sing this music. Hey, look. Could you help me? I know I can sing these songs better than anybody. And with your help, I'm sure I could get a part in the chorus. Sure, I'd love to help you. You're not just doing this to be nice, are you? I would never let my personal desires influence my aesthetic judgment. Oh, what's that mean? It means I think you're terrific. Do you? <laughs> That's definitely a context I was missing. Like, you know, because mm. I watched this movie and I'm not sure what to make of it. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, it doesn't have some of the elements, but maybe we'll talk about Rocky Horror later. It doesn't have some of the elements Rocky Horror's got mm. that make it a little more... I don't know. I don't know what the word is. Timeless something. There's something that Rocky Horror's got. Maybe it's Frankenfurter or 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 the sex. Maybe it's got some other stuff in it that that uh, you know. Whereas this is is 
de- definitely more pure. And I just look at it and I'm like, and it's got such, uh, this movie's got high profile fans. I want to love this movie. Something's holding me back. I don't know what it is. Interesting people like this movie. Well, I think maybe because it it's so, um, it paints such a cynical view of the music industry. You know, that's really what it is. It's a big, uh, it's a big parody and satire on, on the music industry. You know, in a lot of ways, the music business of the late, of the mid to late 20th century is kind of favorable to 20th century internet age, I think, you know. 21st? Sorry, yeah, the 21st, 21st century internet age, you know, because. Uh, Yeah, yeah, people who are getting screwed now will probably want Swan. That's right. They want Swan. (laughs) This is, this is the whole, this, like when I was viewing it, I was like, yeah, they're, they're being very cynical about that time and about record producers and mu- and labels and that sort of stuff but in a way in a way i think it's favorable well well there are arguments to say that it's it's favorable to what's happening now because back then record companies they were big gatekeepers but their wealth allowed them to take risks on new acts you know so a band with a hint of something could get a two or three record deal studio time a producer and that was all just to test the waters, you know, to see how audiences would react. And there was an infrastructure there as well of, of audio engineers, studio musicians, it was arrangers. a tangible product as well. Yeah, tangible, a physical thing. Uh, you know, there's marketing people, artwork departments. But now in the 21st century, uh, access to home recording equipment and digital platforms to release music, it's allowed everybody to create a professional quality recording. And... That's been revolutionary in that, you know, it's sort of the gatekeepers of old have largely been eliminated, but it's, of course, a double-edged sword because now there's so much noise that it's hard even for really amazing music to break through and make a significant impact that would financially support artists to create their work, you know. So there's no traditional barriers to music creation now, but the new barrier is is income, you know. There's just, there's just it's very hard to make to make money, you know. And I don't know, which, which do you think is more favourable, you know, the studio system of those days or the internet sort of age we're living in now? Mm, well, I, um, I jokingly say I like the old system better, but at least I suppose this, on balance, this system maybe makes more people happy because more people can do it, but it because previously it made a a small amount of people happy because they were allowed to make music because you probably couldn't have even made music at all before. You know what I mean? Like, like you're just yourself. Whereas mm. now at least you can do that. That's uh, right. But, yeah. but it certainly has robbed uh, the, the very, very, very good people of a, uh, an incredible opportunity, which what, what, what we used to do was find who people who were in, very, very good and polish them and make them um, legends. Mm. You know, we don't do that. I would argue we don't really do that anymore um so we don't get uh we don't get that what do you reckon aj yeah no i agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> the bummer it's a downer, it's fucking it's a downer, downer. Yeah. look i came in high <laughs> <laughs> quick let's talk about something salacious let's talk about beef <gasps> oh beefy he was grand <laughs> He was I, good. I quite like beef. He gets all the best lines. That's right. Does, oh yeah. my god! And what lines they were. You got anything? <laughs> no, I, got I, I don't want to go too early. Oh, okay. Like right. Well, so I'll do a small one. This is a very tiny one. <laughs> he, did. he just says, "Dry up, Tubbo." 
<laughs> I was waiting for the voice. That's what I needed. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, I, I love I love his first appearance out of the coffin where they open up the coffin and he just he pulls his face. Yes. <laughs> so amazing. The face is amazing. It like is. <laughs> I never really got it. The second time I watched it, I was like, I, I was I, I I understood his performance. Mm. Um it's it's he's the best thing about the movie, arguably. <laughs> Yeah. He, yeah. Oh, him, does. him, and Swan though. I think Swan is very good. Swan is good, but yeah. But I feel like the funnest thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah. for like sure. He's, he's got all the for best sure. lines, like just simple shit. Like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's great. <laughs> and masculine as well. Masculine and not. And not. Yeah. Confusing. Yes. Well. 2021 he's met the moment <laughs> he has yeah well there's a lot of that going on david bowie mm. you know um your main man what prince yeah, yeah. but this is yes. well i guess prince you know started in the late 70s ah, you got no man you better get yourself a castrato for this because it's a little out of my range something bothering you b swan this was scored for a check I'm not doing it in drag. You can sing it better than any bitch. You don't know how right you are, Goliath. Okay, boys, from the bridge, hit it. So this movie is is strange. Uh, I suppose we need to uh, talk a little bit about uh, Brian De Palma. So it's directed by Brian De Palma. I, 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 very much one of my favorite directors. Um, so a director's director, technical master, Hitchcock disciple, movie brat generation. So you know, Ricky mentioned that um, uh, in relation to the to the musos that they were you know going to college, getting read, reading up on the classics and and sort of bringing uh, you know that to their to their work well in the 70s we had a generation of, of filmmakers Steven Spielberg George Lucas you know a whole gang of them who were part of this movie brat generation of the new Hollywood and they were raised on movies they also some of them studied or, or were associated with uh, colleges and so they were bringing a a, a self a, a sort of a self-referential nature to the movies for the first to first uh, genuine time uh, critics of De Palma would say, Style over substance. They'd say uh, he's a thief. They'd say he's a misogynist. Uh, fans would say he's bold with style. They'd say he's got a sense of cinema history. They'd say he's transgressive, and that yes, he is indeed interested in women. In, interested in women, and what's wrong with that? Uh, as we know now, that's disgusting and horrible, and we shouldn't. We ought not do it. So we know the rules. The rules are simple. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, so he's a bit like Tarantino in that way, then. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. He's 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 bold and uh, and and um, ambitious, passionate, and, and, and steals and, from yes, genres and everything. Yeah. So in in this film, he's got you know everything from Touch of Evil with that that bomb in the in the car to Psycho, obviously. Doctor Caligari, we're borrowing from literature as well. We've got Dorian Gray and a number of other things. But uh, you know, De Palma masterworks. I would say uh, Scarface, Untouchables, Blowout, Carrie, Obsession, uh, brilliant. Films, brilliant, amazing films. The rest, frustrating but brilliant. You know, for films with with flaws, but but are absolutely uh, uh, have got their own shining stuff. Casualties of War, Carlito's Way, Dressed to Kill, Raising Cain, The Furies, uh, Body, uh, oh, sorry, The Fury and uh, Body Double. 
Noble failures, Femme Fatale, Bonfather Van Easy, the list goes on. So um, he's, he, when, he, when his eye meets the right script, it's magic, you know, and when he's one step removed, so he's written this film, so this is this is him being a real auteur, you know. But I think he's at his best when he's using he's got someone else's script. So generally speaking, blowout. He's written blowout, which is great. Uh, but but Carrie, uh, you know, Obsession, Untouchables, and Scarface are all uh, you know a different uh, different writers, and I think his his work really meets them beautifully. So, but but here we get this is unfiltered, and this and he's actually trying to say something here. This is like he's pro, he he's actually saying that like uh, this this somewhat resembled his experience of going to uh, studios with original ideas and and this was sort of his experience of being you know used and abused and shot down and and uh lied to and whatever um so i guess it depends on to what degree you believe him or you care about that <laughs> mm, yeah. do you know what i mean to, to, to get involved with this story when do we get to sing I don't think much singing goes on around here. I've been here 12 times and I still don't get to sing. I just get to come back. What do you do here? You'll see. Can't you sing on your back? I've never tried. Well, if you can sing standing up, you can sing lying down. Oh! Why don't you take your slip off? No, I'm shaving it for Swan. He won't miss anything if you do it now. You're being auditioned right now. What do you mean? The whole place is bugged. You're kidding. No. No, Swan's watching us right now. Come here. What are you doing? Oh, he likes to watch us. Watch us doing what? Doing each other. Really? <laughs> so he gets turned on. Does he like blondes? I like blondes. You mind? I hate to bother you, but that's right. I, oh, just hold me close. I just, oh, I just need someone to help me warm my voice up. Mr. Swan, you remember me? I'm Winslow Leach. Ricky, did you feel anything about Winslow's plot? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. Uh, Because tales of this sort of stuff are legendary, you know. I mean, there's all the studios that knock back the Beatles. There's Meatloaf couldn't find a label that would release Bad Out of Hell. You know, the stories are... Are everywhere of and and of people getting fucked over, you know. I mean, if you've ever seen that movie, Searching for Sugarman, you know. I mean, that guy sold more records in in um, in Africa than the, than Elvis did, and he never saw a cent of it. You know, his label never gave him any money, so and he didn't even know he was a big success in uh, certain parts of the world. So you know, those stories are, are everywhere. But what I think is also interesting is this this movie. It really paints a uh, it paints the audience really uh, well the, the the music listening and and consuming audience as pretty moronic and willing to be fed whatever swan serves up to them you know so he's got his juicy fruits <laughs> he's got his juicy fruits which are you know they they they're this sort of doo-wop 50s band that morph into whatever new nostalgic band he wants them to be you know then they turn into like a beach boys incarnation and then after that it's like a glam rock thing and they basically just morph into whatever he wants them to be um which is it is very funny and the songs are actually really catchy too especially sort of the the beach boys one is very very funny too um so yeah i think that's interesting like the the crowds are just 
you know, fawning over Swan, anything Swan does, it's amazing. And I guess in a way that that mirrors that more 1950s and and into the 60s sort of uh, very consumerist listener, you know, that just listens to Top 40 and has just served whatever the record put, record labels put out. You know. If you enjoy what we do here on the New Flesh podcast, there are a number of ways you can contribute to the success of the show. Consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon member and donating monthly or yearly. Alternatively, you can donate money through the Buy Me A Coffee platform. If you're strapped for cash at the moment, there are other ways to support The New Flesh. You can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. These really do help others find our show and help spread the word. Or you can just simply tell your friends about us. Back to the show. Maybe I'm outing myself as an old man, but like if you go on, I, I, and I, I am a TikTok user, so you know, and I'm not, uh, I'm not judgmental of it at all. I think it is a legitimate thing to be doing, uh, for better, for better or worse. But if you go on TikTok, uh, all of the songs, because Katie recently was like, you know, she's having to work with some younger people, and she's like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be an old lady who don't, who, can't, who just has no idea what's going on. So I've been listening to like you know, top forty or whatever. And it's interesting. The Spotify top forty is is just all the songs from TikTok. Oh, so really? What, really? Well, yeah, pretty much. Because she played a bunch of them for me. I went, oh, this is a TikTok song. <laughs> oh, that's that's another one. Oh, that's another one. So wow. isn't that strange? Like, well, it's not strange. I guess it is what it is. Like, there's all this talk of there being like a new, a whole new paradigm. But is there? Mm. Isn't there just a new Swan? Isn't yeah. Swan just is, an algorithm? Just, well, it is an algorithm. <laughs> but but what's but but you can't tell me that all those TikTok songs are the best songs ever. And you can't tell me that the ones that Spotify is saying are the best songs that are right mm, now. It's, yeah. it's, it's just, it's been, they've been chosen, curated. And, um, and there's then those, they're in cahoots, those two things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I guess in a way it, 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 it is very much like Swan, you know, Swan, he, he owns, he owns the acts. He, uh, he releases the music through his label, uh, death records and it's kind of similar you've got spotify this big this big multinational tech company and you've got the algorithms that push certain things to to people and it's it's very similar yeah well i love the, i love the juicy fruits though <laughs> <laughs> they're very cool goodbye eddie goodbye hey, did yeah. you guys notice did you notice him when he hits the high notes pulling his his balls down yeah. at the beginning. Did you notice <laughs> <No>. that? <laughs> so the lead singer, he when he hits the high notes, he keeps like adjusting his balls. <laughs> it's great. I noticed him um, shooting up with the microphone the mic. cord. That's great. That was cool. Try it again. Phoenix. And again. Phoenix. Well, at least you can talk with this. You can plug yourself into the console for singing. You really think she's that good? She's too good for you. I'll hire her anyway. She could be my voice now. Could she? Really? Yes. Then let's get down to business. I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. For Phoenix. That way we both get what we want. You get your cantata sung by the right singer and I open paradise. Rewrite my cantata. We have no time to waste, just one week. You must lock yourself up in here and do nothing but write. Isn't that exciting? I could write for her. Yes, it will be performed here live, and Phoenix will star. How good was that? Mm. The start was amazing, just to get us in. 
Well, it's different from the script too. You have a little thumb through of the script and the first scene in the script is is uh, a tiny scene in the film. I don't know if you remember it, but it's uh, uh, the, the woman who's in her 30s or late 30s who says she knew Swan when mm. he was in high school. That was actually the first scene. Ah. Oh. And um, which I thought was interesting. And so his name was Dorian uh, in in the script. Yeah. And and uh, but they've done what you have to do with cinema, which is fucking start with a bang. So, you know, it's like with well, this is actually this actually works. It's not a, it's not a strange reference, but in the because I'll because I'll tell you why in a second. But uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Four, or rather, as it was just called, Star Wars back in the day, <laughs> the first one. Uh, the, the we begin with that with this the the cruiser going straight over the you know uh, the camera. We're straight in now. Why do I reference Star Wars? Because the same editor edited this film for her so he knows what he's doing so he would who knows i'm sure they shot that scene i'm sure they put it in there and he someone like him would have just been fuck that let's go straight let's go let's get right into it let's do Mm. it let's have the juicy fruits you know Mm. well did you notice the strange um sort of optical overlays of the record label um i did yeah so that that that's there for a reason because the label was originally called swan song records but led zeppelin had a record label called i think it was just called swan records but basically led zeppelin threatened to take them to court and sue them so they actually thought they'd have a good chance to win because the term swan song is quite you know it's a well used um sort of term in in english parlance so but they they just didn't want to chance it so they ended up changing it to uh death records you can still see swan song here and there mm. you can yeah if you look, look closely enough yeah which is a little bit shitty to see those i mean nowadays you just you just vfx that shit out but you can you can tell it looks like something's been plastered over. henry cavill's uh, mustache in justice league <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that looked fine right aj Right. <laughs> Has that been CG'd <laughs> in or CG'd out? No, CG'd out. And um, uh, it's possibly the most terrifying like, <laughs> sort of footage you've ever seen. Like his mouth won't, won't stop moving. Like it, I don't understand. So they've paid someone like a kid, a 12-year-old kid, like $30 <laughs> and said, oh, just, you know, just, I don't know, do what you can. <laughs> You, you wouldn't know that um, the like biggest companies in the world have have done it, and it's terrible. Or because he wouldn't, he wasn't allowed to shave his mustache because he was shooting uh, one of the Mission Impossible movies or something. <laughs> so it's dumb. We still haven't solved why I have a problem with this movie. I'm more, I, 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 I'm getting more on board as we go. I mean, Daft Punk like it, so I love it. that's well. That's the reason why they wear they wear helmets. I mean, that's big, you know. They're French, right? Didn't they meet at a screening of I think it? They, yeah. they did, yeah. What? Yeah. That they did. is too much Phantom of the Paradise for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's too much. They love the helmet. They're in there at a screening. They're like, hey, uh, did you, don't you think this movie is good? <laughs> yes. Who do you like? I like beef. Uh, I, like beef. <laughs> I like beef too. Uh, maybe, we, maybe we'll make a music. Uh, yes. That's how it went. That's how it went. Uh, <laughs> well, they later they later collaborated with Paul Williams on a uh, a Grammy award winning album. Mm. So it was all meant to be. It was all it was all thanks to this movie. Well, Paul Williams has said he's like, don't don't write anything off because you know no one liked it at the time, and uh, it's actually given him a, a lot of strange benefits over the years uh, well this people- was 
this was a huge failure at the time, except in one place, and that is, what is it, Winnipeg in Canada? That's crazy. That's where I've got it in my notes here somewhere. Yeah, it was, um, it was huge there, and it played for months. So I don't understand how it's like one little <laughs> geographical place in North America that just went nuts for it, you know. What's in the water over there? Well, I don't know. What, what are they seeing that no one else got at the time, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Well, because everyone else was too busy, like, well, a little bit later watching Rocky Horror. Like, mm. you know, that had way more cut through, arguably. But they, they're just loving it. And they had the big, you know, big screenings of it, you know, into the 80s or whatever. I think you're right. It's too pure. That creepy cuddle, his creepy eye always looking at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his metal teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> I love his voice too. They've like Darth Vadered him, you know, because he's lost his voice in the in his accident with the with the record press. Well, and actually, Dave Darth Vader has been Winslowed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the timeline. <laughs> I think yeah. Paul Hirsch was on Star Wars, and he said, "I got a great idea. I got a great <laughs> idea." Yeah, George. make it sound like this. <laughs> we did it uh, on a different movie. So that's actually a good uh, uh, segue. So, you know, AJ's might have tipped her hand a little bit, but I, this is Keeper or Creeper. Yes. So, so first up we have uh, Garrett Graham as Beef, you know, so he works out, a successful musician. He seems to have a sensitive side, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he wouldn't be into me. <laughs> He's a flaming homo. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was just sort of saying that he's, you know, just might, it, the wedding night might not be all you want it to be. <laughs> Look, and that, me saying that was pretty tame as compared to some of the lines in this movie. <laughs> oh, yes, that's so true. Um, comes up later, but uh, I believe uh, Swan has a, has a great little line that uh, will be. <laughs> Thing in a second. So uh, that's beef. Uh, as I say, um, he's uh, he he is as he is. So what do we say about beef? Keeper or creeper? Creeper. He's got a picture of himself up in his dressing room. <laughs> I love the stuff you look for. I I I sort of pictured that, but I was just like, you no, know, because because we're guys, we we only interpret. We can only look at guys the way we would look at guys. Do you know what I mean? We know we're not chicks. We we look at guys and we go, oh yeah, he looks fucking hellsick. Looks he's got a good body and all that. Whereas we're not looking for that. That you looked at that and you were like, he's a narcissist, yeah. right? Yeah. And the guy called him Tinkerbell. <laughs> Tinkerbell. Yeah. He's got a very close relationship with his mother too. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Tinkerbell. That would be um, human rights violation now. If you called someone Tinkerbell. Where are like, you going, Tinkerbell? It's crazy. People would just be like, you know, you are 100% cancelled. So, <laughs> all right. Next up, uh, we have uh, Paul Williams as Swan. Uh, he's also the phantom singing voice. Uh, seriously successful record producers. Like, you know, well, I'm talking, uh, you know, Pharrell Williams. He's, he's, he's right up there, okay? Wheeler dealer, rich, talented, smooth. It's, he's not tall. No. Okay, so that that is what it is. But you know, as I've said, he's 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 quite um, 
monomaniacal and uh, good at what he does. So, and I think he'll show you a good time. I'm fairly certain. Keeper or creeper? Creep. I have his official height. Okay. How old is five foot? Okay, so it's a short thing. I just thought his head was weird. I thought he might have been premature. <laughs> <laughs> Thought he might be a premie baby. <laughs> Are we going to get cancelled over that? <laughs> uh, do you know I haven't heard premie babies complain at all. I think they. Do you know what? All the ones that I know, um, I just buzz to be here. You know what I mean? They're usually quite happy people. They're like, no, I'm, I'm cool. So. <laughs> Anyway, okay, that's that's creeper. Um, creeper. I thought it would be because this is this is tricky, you know. Because as we know, AJ, women are, you know, as far as I know, drawn to success, uh, success objects. But the, the height thing is a problem. Mm. Yeah, it is. He's, he's strange sort of, looking. Yes, but you know, sometimes I think that can be forgiven. Yeah, I don't know about the round bed. It's no, a lot. What do you think of a man with a round bed? I think it was meant to be a waterbed too oh. in the script. I don't know whether it was in the movie. No, I thought it was just a moving round bed. Do you like a round bed? No, not, <laughs> not really. Is it sort of an Austin Powers <laughs> Definitely. Thing, right? it's, the round bed it's that an he gets on. orgy kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it is an orgy thing, isn't it? Why is it easy an access thing? at any angle? Yeah. You know? Oh, no sleeping. No. Now I get it. I've never known why you have. But what's the spinning about? Why does it? Why do they? Why do these fucking heads? I know. Spin? I know. It's so the people who like to watch can also get all the angles. Oh. Know? You clearly added yourself as one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so I can, I mean, people allegedly can get a better view of, of, uh, of that ass as it's spinning around like a rotisserie chicken. All right. So next up, uh, finally, we have William Finley as Winslow Leach, also the Phantom, passionate, penniless and soulful, maybe a little intense, but that's his charm, okay? You know, he's dogged. When he goes after something, you know, really makes it happen. He's a very, very, very skilled songwriter. He is hideously deformed, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and look, this is another small thing, AJ, uh, but he just between you and me, he might have killed a few cunts. <laughs> That, as well. That eye, I couldn't get over it. It was just always looking at me and I was grossed <laughs> out by it. Big green eye. <laughs> I think it's gonna give me nightmares. So would you what would you be willing to forgive? Um the killing, maybe the de- the deformed thing, maybe, but it's the eye that sort it's of the eye. Their hug was terrible. He was kind of sniffing her. That was when he wasn't even gross, oh, no. right? Yeah. <laughs> that was the yes. He's got very fine hair as well. Mm. He kind of so, looks like Stephen Merchant. He, oh, a little bit. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> but but do you think he was his phantom look was an improvement on what he was before? Maybe. I think <laughs> it was. That's big. That's big. This That's big. the singing was great. He was a great songwriter though. Okay. Keeper or creeper. Uh, creeper. <laughs> well, well, that's a sweep. That's a, a sweep, a, a creeper sweep. I haven't had a keeper yet. I don't think. No. Well, you know, as I said, I want to. I, I want the keepers to be special. Okay. I don't want them to be. So you can't just go. Oh, yeah. Like you know, like I'll throw the swan a, a shot. Throw a bone. I want it, yeah, throw him a bone. <laughs> 
Well, the guy from Basic Instinct, he came close. Gus. Gus. Oh, Gus. He was the closest. Gus came dangerously close. <laughs> yeah, he did. That says a lot about me. We've got to talk. <laughs> Gus was not, um, you know, boyfriend material. No. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's we need to talk I about. I feel like anyway. I've outed myself. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, great stuff. Poor Frank. <laughs> Poor Frank. Come on, where the hell is she? Philbin, have you ever seen such a crowd? No, and I never want to see another one. Look at them. They've really been entertained. They never want the show to stop. Now, the paradise is more magnificent than I ever dreamed. Sure, how often's a rock star fried on stage? Quite an attraction. What do we think of Paul Williams as Swan? Um, I really liked it when he was uh, young Swan. In the bath. And, and when he does young Swan, it was one of those moments this can happen, you know, it happened in uh, a, a film with uh, John Wayne when he did True Grit and, uh, or was it Rooster Coburn, one of the two, uh, people realised that he was acting the whole time in the previously do you know what i mean mm. and this was this was a case in this movie when i saw him in the in the, in the bath i was like oh he's 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 acting like the other the other the other role he's he's actually putting that on like he it was actually too good i thought that he might be a little bit like swan do mm. you know what i mean yeah. like that's just when they just sort of captured it yeah. Um, as the, as you, sometimes you can with with cinema, you get a big big personality. You sort of say, just be yourself. But no, he was acting, and so I like Young Swan, and uh, and I thought um, he certainly exudes. I like even when I didn't know who he was at all. I used to watch this movie and go, man, that guy is bigger than this movie. Mm. I could tell he was the biggest thing in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's five foot. <laughs> Uh, oh, there it is again. There it is again. Heightism. Heightism. <laughs> well, I did type into Google earlier today, is Paul Williams a midget? And it hasn't been confirmed. The so M word. I think he's just a short man. <sighs> yeah, five foot's a short man. But do people come at you hard for the word midget or is it yeah, one I of those ones so. where people You've got to say do, little they, person now, I think. Do they, how hard do they come? It's not our word. No, it's definitely not our word. Our word is like people come hard at you, right? Yeah. Okay. What about the F word? Oh, <laughs> that word. I well, I don't think people would even know what F word we're talking about. Well, That's I think how... I should tell them. I'll tell them because, uh, and I'll quote it uh, from the movie. You know, there's a scene when uh, Winslow, uh, you know, goes to try to sneak into Swan's, you know. Uh, Building and he's in the har- the harem. That's right. And uh, uh, you know so he's with all these women. And Swan comes out and looks down at Lee at Winslow, who's dressed in a dress. And he says, you know, um, get this fang out of here. <laughs> it was so just like fucking brutal. Yeah. Like just like just a six shooter, just bang. Mm. You know. So I quoted that, and I don't care what anyone says. Well, in the start, when the um, what's that guy's name? Swan's guy. Oh, Philbin. Uh, Philbin. Philbin. Yeah. When he says free concerts for gook orphans. Yes. <laughs> oh, I missed that. When did he say that? He the says very that about start an- when he's talking to the camera. He's talking to the camera about oh, Annette, yeah. their previous ingenue, and he says, mm. you know, that, that they gave her everything, they built her up to be a star. It's actually similar to the speech that the, that the producer gives in uh, The Godfather. 
the guy gets a horse in his in his bed. He gives a similar speech. He goes, you know, she was the best piece of piece of ass I ever had. <laughs> so he says something similar here. He says, you know, yeah, as well as the G word, which he says, which yeah. is amazing. Um, uh, he says, the judge called us a disgrace to the profession. A disgrace, he said. I was the one who made her the money grubbing whore, who she was, and she calls me a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> money grubbing whore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so lines that would never be put in movies these days. That's the thing. It was actually never, they, they, they bleeped out. The word they bleeped out, though, um, was uh, I told her uh, what to, how to dress, what to do, who to screw, or whatever, or who to fuck. And there's, there's like there's that's what Philbin says, and there's like mic feedback oh. that, they, that sort of that sort of artfully cuts out that yes. word. Yeah, I, I um, saw that. It's quite clever. And but then but then by our standards today, you know, saying fag and gook like that, that those are. Uh, uh, um, Defcon four words, yeah. <laughs> like th- those words are like if those words are said, like I've just said them, so already the so yeah. are, there's already <laughs> nanobots, gone. there's already nanobots going up my pecker to, to <laughs> do something, <laughs> shut me down or whatever, and so they are totally Defcon four words, and like, but they bleeped out like the most, you know, they're like, yeah, so anyway, Molly, that's too much, get rid of that word, anyway, get out of here, fag, oh, goo, 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 goo. <laughs> and you go, Jesus, and let's have um, a rape scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that scene is is quite something, mm. um, you know. Yeah. So, so it's when it's when all the girls are getting auditioned, right? And they are let in one by one, mm. but it, but you only kind of just see momentarily behind the doors before. They're but I wonder what that would have been you know, almost fifty years ago to people, like you know, because we, it's it's so beyond a joke now we know we, we well we you sort of intuitively knew it to be true and then after Harvey Weinstein you're sort of like oh definitely true and more truer than we ever knew and uh so I wonder what that sort of idea would have meant to uh, just a standard person in Winnipeg in 1974 do you know what I mean like would they watch that and gone oh is that really what goes on or would they just go oh, of course that's what goes on in Hollywood how upsetting yeah, it is is it though that you've got to fuck the roadies like you're not even <laughs> fucking swan. Well, yeah. I, there, there was a, I believe this, uh, you know, uh, there was a philosopher. What did he say once? He said, ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. <laughs> ain't you? All right. I believe that's how it went. You're just getting a bit of runoff, you know? <laughs> but you're going there thinking that you're at least fucking swan. And then you get. But, you, but swan does get involved yeah, at yeah, one point. Yeah. It does, but they, they, but it was uh, for you the know, creme de la creme. Philbin and the mm. dirty roadies that we get yeah. in uh, action. <laughs> mm. I thought it was very clever, though, the way how quick it was, and that scene was. It was the opposite of Showgirls. Mm, yes. Yeah, it was, it was the opposite of Showgirls. They were like in and out. Yeah. Yep. Well, no, yeah. because I actually sort of made it. The, it was actually, dare I say, relatively tasteful because, you know, it was very theatrical. Yeah. You know, the door opens and they get on top, but it wasn't like there wasn't any grotesque details. No. You know, where you were just like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, like stop stop doing that. Stop showing me the, that stuff. Yeah. So you got it where it, it didn't like take over the movie. No. Um, but I, I found Swan to be quite menacing and a little bit scary mm. really I don't know. yeah just i don't know even though he's physically a small man <laughs> something about him is creepy again, again. <laughs> he can't control that you know <laughs> <laughs> 
that's not <laughs> anyway moving on <laughs> but wait, wait were you scared of him before the supernatural turn or just overall no i just thought he was uh i, I could just tell he was evil and that uh may, maybe i didn't notice to begin with that there'd be some supernatural element to him but that he was a he was a mean dude you know he has an aura mm. about he him. does yeah well, he did kind of, that. Maybe his part of his charm as well is that. Well, part of his aura is, is you can tell he smashed a lot of birds. Yeah, and done a lot of drugs. Like that is the, that. It just is sort of radiating off. Him. He was rock star, definitely. Yes. Mm. Mm. Like he had that calm about him. He he wanted for not. His only problem is like yeah, like getting sober and stuff. Like it's not like you know having a good time or or. Nailing birds. That's not that's not a problem for him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he didn't give a fuck really about Winslow at all. No, no, he was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Winslow. Yes. So this movie's grown. I've read something interesting. Uh, I'll read a bit of it out. It's from Cinephilia and Beyond. It's by a guy called Sven Mikulek. So this is just about the film's uh, sort of growth after the, after it came out, which I thought was interesting. In Brian De Palma's entire career, his 1974 musical horror film Phantom of the Paradise is perhaps the one work of art most difficult to categorise in any draws. A film piece so puzzling, chaotic and uncanny, it's literally impossible to be forgotten. It may very well be true that upon its release, De Palma's sixth feature film got butchered by the critics with a few honourable exceptions. Uh, and it's a simple, f- uh, and it's a simple fact. It failed to meet 20th Century Fox's box office expectations. Fuck, how much money did that thing was going to make? Really, uh, Fan of the Paradise was successful practically only in Paris and Winnipeg. The unorthodox, mi- unorthodox mixture of genres, more or less obvious subtlety in the delivery of the material, and the inability of the distributor to adequately and efficiently promote the picture due to its impossibility to wear a simple label of a horror or a musical, proved simply too much for the audience in 1974. However, De Palma's unwanted baby slowly started to attract and nurture a cult following people usually cringing at the sight of films like The Towering Inferno, one of the greatest hits of 1974. In the following years, Phantom of the Paradise started receiving more positive reviews, helping build the dominant opinion that the film's contemporary audience and critics were unfair and somewhat blind to all the delights hiding in De Palma's probably weirdest film to date. To what degree people loved the movie can it be easily seen in the fact that in 2005 the fans... Uh, organized a festival called Phantom Phantom Palooza, which still continues to occur every year or so. The fantastic Paul Williams, a renowned composer who not only created the score for the movie, but also starred in two of the most important roles, watched its reputation grow with pride. So it goes on and on. So that's a, that's interesting. That show talks about how it's... Uh, well, it's actually got another big fan here. Um, Guillermo del Toro says he considers this uh, deranged, romantic, unique film with a perfect soundtrack, one of his most beloved films ever. The film was rejected and trashed only to rise like a phoenix and cement its place in the collective minds of film lovers around the world. Uh, Edgar Wright is also a big fan of this movie and maybe we're getting to the crux of perhaps why I don't you know, love it as much as I perhaps should. Uh, Edgar Wright did uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver. New movie out now? Yes. Last Soho? I don't mind the man. I, I hate his movies. I hate I hate his movies, AJ. Really? And I don't say that lightly. I hate his movies. <laughs> and I I don't I don't like them. They're bad. They're not good. And I don't um I don't get it. Uh Shaun of the Dead is not not as good as the people who watch it want it to be. Hot Fuzz, just watch Hard Boiled instead, don't bother. Uh 
Uh, Baby Driver was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was like his play, it was his iPod playlist that he listens to, and he's like, "Oh, I'll make a movie to it, and everyone will love it. It's really cool." It was stupid. Okay, scathing. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good. So anyway, that's a problem, and he goes on about this movie the most. Right, so he's okay. he's sort of like the the main cheerleader of this movie. It's the opposite. When QT tells me to watch something, I'm like, "Oh yes." This is going to be great. You know? I wonder what QT thinks. Um, oh, he'd, he'd be into it. He, he like, he's always loved De Palma, but um, mm. you know. But uh, but then again, he wouldn't. I, I'm not going to speak for the man, but I know he loves Blowout, and I would prefer Blowout over this movie. There's a bunch of other movies. Well, I prefer all those ones I mentioned: Blowout, Carrie, Obsession, over this movie. This movie's like got. It's like all the stuff in this movie is in those other movies. Funnily enough. Like you know, almost every every little thing in this movie is in another movie. <laughs> like uh, you know, even the assassination attempt that happens at the end is in Snake Eyes later on, or you know, the silent and the guy who does the assassination is basically like the same character in Scarface. Like you know, uh, there's there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff. But it's anyway, it's just a it's just frustrating film. I I but I did the second time I watched it today, I really was starting to plug into it. I was like, yep, yeah, I think I'm getting, I think I'm starting to get this now, and I was starting to feel the the tragic nature of the story mm. you know and starting to feel a little something but i must ask though uh, ricky is the music is it is it good is this music good yeah it's not it's not totally my bag like there's parts of it that uh like like the start of the cantata where the guys come out sort of in a bit of kiss makeup and and like I, I love what they're doing theatrically. Like they have these swords on the end of their guitars, and they're like <laughs> slow mowing. That's cool. That was cool. Off. That is very cool. But the music behind it, I'm like, oh, it's just kind of generic rock music. Yeah. Okay. Like- get get this. Okay. Some people. So there, there's this whole thing about Rocky Horror Picture Show and this movie, and the people who are big defenders of this movie always trot out. They're like, oh, why? Why do people love Rocky Horror so much? And and everything. Now look. If I need to tell you why the time warp is fucking boss, then we got a problem, bro. Like <laughs> that is a killer track, whether you've seen the movie or not. And um, it makes it, it, it would make uh, a, a, a mortuary assistant dance. It would make anyone dance and do the fucking dance. You know what I mean? <laughs> As they do it in the movie. And Tim Curry's performance is. Uh, Incredible! It's it's better than the movie. There's it's the best thing about the movie. In fact, the movie can fuck off except for him. You know, like so. I, I think in this movie, the the ballads are the best part musically. Yes. So mm. the ballads are very good, but the up tempo ones, with the exception of what the juicy fruits do, because I think like the Beach Boys track they do is amazing, and and the the other fifties track they do is very good as well. But yeah, I, I get what you mean, like. The dance, the dan- what should be the really dancey numbers, they're a bit lack- lackluster, I think. Mm-hmm. But the, you're right. And maybe that's why the, you know, this is a bit of a, a bummer and a downer. And those slower tracks remind me of those best songs of the 70s, you know, those those sort of Elton John, those long ballads, you know, mm-hmm. with, with, with a bit of an intellectual bent and interesting lyrics. And, you know, they've got this sort of... Um, you know this 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 gravitas about them, and and uh, I, I totally get that. And maybe that's why people don't. One of the reasons they don't flock to this is because, you know, uh, they that they enjoy the time warp and and they enjoy touch me and all those songs mm. in Rocket Prefixes show, and they feel like it's a party. Whereas here, at the end of the day, this is a downer. No one yeah. likes a downer. Mm. 
you know, then the message is, is stark at the end. It's like it's saying you're going to have everything taken away from you mm. and then you're going to die and not get what you want. It's sort of got the, the visual pyrotechnics, if you will, of Rocky Horror. Like it looks amazing. It's colourful. The costumes are crazy and crazy as hell, but the music is a downer. So. <laughs> and, and the people are just losing it. Like they're, they're trying to have a good time, but it's it doesn't kind of fit. Oh, you mean the people in the audience? Yeah. Mm. Well, what do they know? They they love whatever Swan does. That's right. Yeah, that's right, idiots. But like one <laughs> you of could, the best, you could fart into the mic and they love it. <laughs> one of the best scenes with them was the crowd cheering for Phoenix, and when they yeah. were taking Beef's body out. Yeah, Beef, Beef, yeah. Beef. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. <laughs> that was good, actually. Yes, I really did love that. Yeah. Like his his whole story, I got a lot more now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like he's dead, and they and and, and there's a great line about that too. Like they, they, he says, "How often has a star fried on stage?" And then yeah. Swan's like, "It's an attraction." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, that's true." Yeah. You know? I mean, just look at recently uh, Astro uh, Astro World. Um, mm. Travis Scott. You know, like fucking eight people get crushed, and it's just a, it's a, just a spectacle. You yeah. Know? Mm. It's all part of the spectacle. Yeah, it's incredible. And and even with stars that die, and then. There's news coverage for 24 hours or whatever, and you fully see them get taken out. Or, or in Aaliyah's case, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. The, yeah. This chick is still being like held up as, as um, mm. you know, mm. uh, the day the music died. Yeah. And I'm like, God, like, oh, that Long, Longer than Michael Jackson. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some other stuff that might get in the way of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but but all the salacious stuff that came out, like that his doctor said afterwards. Like Conrad, do you mean Conrad, what's his face saying? I, I used to hold his dick every yeah. night while he took a piss. Yeah, that's right. That stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's when you know you've made it. That's right. When you've made it, when you've made it, you take enough barbiturates and opioids and whatever that a doctor who you have just paid like some sort of hourly rate yeah. holds your member while you take a piss and gives you what every night what you refer to as your milk. <laughs> milk. Imagine him in his voice saying that. Yeah. No, apparently that voice wasn't real, though. Really? Well, Eddie says it wasn't real. Chris Tucker, I think, has said something similar. Oh. Like it's not real. Like it's he's he's he sort of can speak a bit hood. Oh, really? <laughs> you never hear him do that. Yeah, no. Well, you know, it's he. By the way, he wasn't a white man um, in 1980 either. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a picture of him the other day, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this man really did do some stuff to himself. Yeah, yeah. you know, like there's no, don't, I don't care what he said. There was really a lot that he had to do. Yeah, like when he says he only had two nose jobs to help him hit the high notes, you know. And you go, yeah, you really did. He did look like a, a boomer woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I watched the, the 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 this is off topic now but I watched the uh, thriller little uh, well the long long version video clip of thriller oh, yeah. the other day and just looking at Michael Jackson and that I'm like he looks like he's got black paint on his face though oh you know like like he always used to, like the argument about his vitiligo was that you know it got so bad that he ended up cuz he was he was blacking up a little bit to cover that but it got so bad that he had to go the other way and he had to whiten up mm. that was is always it, the thing he is said is it possibly that he's a liar <laughs> but that's <laughs> he's a fucking exactly, liar exactly exactly well that's what and i he thought went to a doctor 
and the doctor bleached him. <laughs> and the doctor bleached him every day for 20 years. That's what happened because he's a liar. Uh, well, that's what I always thought. But then when I saw the Thriller again, I was like, you know what? He looks like he's wearing yeah. a lot of black makeup. You know what on, it is? So the what? music's so wicked that that it's oh, you kind of want to believe anything he says. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's, that's what I how I feel. I'm just kind of a bit like, you know. The music's so wicked. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe, yeah. Maybe he d- does have that weird disease. Yeah. <laughs> and you just become a white woman <laughs> at the end of your life. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cool so. that he lets kids sleep in his bed. Well, it's, it's you just know, a weird, weird you know, guy. <laughs> don't be judgmental. The, the hard left, the hard left, say that we should be just more, you know, accepting of people's, yeah. you know, preferences. Mm. <laughs> Well, there's a term for that now. It's minor attracted people. Ah, yes. There you go. Oh. So don't you dare call them pedophiles. Yeah, don't. Don't oh. do it. Don't do it. Anyway. All right. Well, I've got some charges to lay down on this movie. Okay. So there's only a couple, though, because we've gone through gone through a bunch of it already. So first up on the Me Too meter, we have What a Drag. Uh, Winslow dresses up as a groupie and joins the harem. Uh, Swan replies, get uh, get this fag out of here. No one wins here, okay? So Swan's a homophobe, but Winslow is also queer baiting, you know? He's not a stunning and brave no. he, she with a lady dick uh, at all. He's a cis white male merely using women's clothes to pretend to be a woman. So if he, if he wasn't a bigot, you know, but if it wasn't a real bigot, then he'd have it all lopped off down there, is what I have to say. Uh, next up, Juicy Fruits. Uh, the Juicy Fruits are rapists. Uh, yes. A member leaps uh, in the first scene upon a woman in the opening number. As I say, he brandishes her bra as a trophy. A real Neanderthal. So uh, there you go. Uh, casting Couch, Phoenix and all the other hopefuls attend a Casting Couch audition, most likely resembling the process of the movie itself, probably. Uh, so a little quote from that harem as well he likes to watch us doing what doing each other the girls Mm. say uh i bet he does so so that's good is it so ricky watching women get it on together that's good is it is that is that hot and sexy is it oh yeah (laughs) i agree so (laughs) next up uh philbin talks to linda uh you got a nice body we want to see some skin okay you know that was a nice little grab i caught there that's a girl in the bikini so that's just philbin being a pig uh beef's butt grab in his final final number did you see beef he he, he gooses a chick real good oh i didn't yeah, well that. see i'm here to inform you of these crimes <laughs> as they as they occur so next time you watch it you watch for that like he really does go boink on one of those showgirls that's going past so that's enough to um you know, really, really get you taken care of today. Well, that confuses me now. Well, you know, all the best predators sort of, you know, hold up a bit of a bit of a, I don't know, queer facade, don't they? And then they sort of hold that up and go, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm a bit sensitive, and oh, I went to, did you go to Mardi Gras last night? And then they, then they take it out in front of you, AJ, and they say, what do you think of that? So, <laughs> next up. Phoenix rises. One hint of success is enough to make uh, Phoenix reje- reject all her principles, agreeing to do anything for fame. Are we to believe that there are women out there who have knowingly had sex with powerful men and kept quiet about it in order to achieve success? I don't believe it for a second. Gwyneth Paltrow is just a really good actress. So, AJ, 
you've heard the uh, charges, okay? And I suppose the only thing going for this movie is that they say it's satire, but sometimes that's just used as a cover, you know? So is it, what, do we, what do we rate this out of 10 uh, on our Me Too meter? Well, now that you've said all that, I was going to go in pretty low. Okay. So what maybe. What going to give it? I was going to give it probably a three, but now I feel a bit bad, so I'll go to a five. A five? <laughs> That's, that's significant. Mm. Ricky? No, I was thinking more like a three or a four. Three and a half. Okay. I feel like the, you could say I think we're that, perverts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But, no, but if we showed this and Basic Instinct, wouldn't people say that Basic Instinct's worse? They know, would, yeah. Not just anyone, like a, mm. the woke people we're talking yeah. about. I suppose the fact that this is satire. See, this movie is actually attempting to do something good. It's, it's, it's you know, it has that casting couch scene and it's saying this is terrible and it's saying that, mm. you know, this, this, is, this is how people, and all the bad people did all the bad stuff. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, it could be on the lower end, I think. Um, and and because the, the main crimes were total societal um, norms, like, you know, uh, you know, saying the word fag, for instance, and, and whatnot, uh, a couple of things that, that were, for better or worse, or what everyone was doing, what the pers- what the guy, the news agent was saying. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they'd be like, mm. you, they'd be like you know, when are the, the papers are late this morning? When are them fags getting here? That's what they would say. <laughs> AJ. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where this city is. Um, <laughs> I'm but anyway, yeah, I think it's around this three or four. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it, it, as we know, you can never really get zero. Never. No, that's uh, true. No, because they're true. always. And, you know, some of the people we're talking about would watch this and just, again, they would just say, you know, that um, yeah, there's not enough of A, B and C or whatever in it. Mm. So you can't win. So, AJ, do you have any uh, notable quotes? Um, I don't actually. I've I've got a couple written down here. Um, when I think Winslow says to one of the girls on the staircase, uh, "You're kidding, right? Do I look like a kidder?" <laughs> I like that one. So simple. Yeah. Do, do I, I look, look like, like a kidder? Kid she looked like a bitch. That lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other one I have here is uh, if you can sing standing up, you can sing lying down. <laughs> Yeah, so I love that whole scene. I love it. all the dialogue. I agree. I agree politically with everything. <laughs> Socially, politically, sexually. Moving on. Uh, let me hit you with some trivia. Obviously, Led Zeppelin, they were trying to, well, they threatened to, to sue them because of the uh, record label thing. But uh, the movie was subject to several other lawsuits, uh, including one from the estate of the Phantom of the Opera and another from Marvel Comic comics for the use of the phantom because they have you know the superhero the phantom so uh, the studio that swan sets up for winslow is an actual studio it's called the record plant and all the knobs and wires are part of a huge moog synthesizer it made me so happy to, cool. to realize that that was real like i was like i looked at when when i first saw it i was like oh geez that's such a cool studio and the fact that it exists I was just like, yes. Cool. Well, heaps of artists have used that, like Stevie Wonder, Weather Report, loads of other people. Oh, wow. Have there and done stuff. So wonderful. Um, it is good, isn't it? Uh, so, the record press in which the Phantom was disfigured uh, was a real pressing plant. It was an injection molding press at a toy company. Uh, the press was fitted with foam pads, which uh, resemble the casting molds in the press. And uh, there were chocks put in the center to stop it from closing completely. So I guess the chocks are just, 
you know, uh, pieces of wood pretty much. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yes. And Ooh. unfortunately the mach machine was too powerful. Uh, it was powerful enough to crush the chocks. Uh, so it gradually kept closing and it was uh, the actor's speed and timing that saved him from being seriously hurt as he got his head just out. Just out in time. Jesus Christ. So, and his scream in the scene was, in fact, not acting. Oh. So, terrifying. Mm. So, yeah, in the original screenplay of uh, The Phantom of the Paradise, the villainous character Swan was named Spectre, and that character was loosely based on record producer Phil Spectre. Yeah, the draft I had a little bit of a read, he was called Dorian, so he's had a few names. Mm, he has, yeah. 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 And uh, I mentioned this earlier, but the film was a box office flop the year it came out. Uh, the only place in North America where it wasn't uh, was in Winnipeg, Canada, where it stayed on the screens for months. So it only cost them a mil to make. How much was a box office? Oh, less than that. Right. I don't, I don't have the figures in front of me. And I think, yeah, when they don't tell you, it means they blew it. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's made its money back over the years through, like, Rent, oh, ancillary you know. sales. Oh, of course, yeah. of course I would. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, totally. Uh, I was unable to find an Ebert review of this. Oh. So maybe Ebert was on holidays when, <laughs> when this came out. I'm not sure. So I've gone to Siskel instead. So Gene Siskel gave the film two stars out of four, writing that uh, what's up on the screen is childish. <laughs> it has meaning only because it points to something else. To put, it another, to put it another way, joking about the rock music scene is treacherous because the rock music scene is itself a joke. Oh. So, um, Profound. Downer. Pauline Kale of the New York Times was positive, stating, uh, though you may anticipate a plot turn, it's impossible to guess what the next scene will look like or what its rhythm will be. De Palma's timing is sometimes wantonly unpredictable and dampening, but mostly it has a lift to it. You practically get a, kin uh, a kinetic charge from the breakneck wit he put into Phantom. It isn't just that the picture has vitality, but that one can feel the tremendous kick the director got out of making it. Pauline Kale, very special. We'll never get one like her again. She was uh, very mercurial and, you know, her word meant, meant something, like really meant something. She was scathing and... You know, uh, there's that. You know, remember that in the doors, uh, there's a, a sort of a hateful uh, reviewer woman in one scene. Yeah, uh, and uh, Oliver Stone's based her sort of on on Pauline Kael. <laughs> right. So uh, she was, yeah, she's. But she has. She was a big fan of De Palma's work. So you know, a lot of his films that were sort of, as I say, noble noble failures, or you know, people didn't get it or whatever. Uh, she was she was right on board, and which is amazing because she she you know I've got a couple of books of hers, and maybe I'll showcase some of her work sometime. But yeah, beautiful writer, and yeah, really reflective of a of a very different time in in history when when the words of reviewers mattered, and and also the reviewers were were sort of rock stars in and of themselves in many ways. That review makes me want to go and watch it again after we that, finish. Well, do you know what? <laughs> that is exactly what a good review mm. can and should do. Um, and and that I think that's the highest, absolute highest praise you can give. And, you know, I know we just trashed Siskel, but Siskel, here's a great example of that. Siskel is the, is a person who many of, well, I suppose it was almost 20 years ago now, that got me to love Saturday Night Fever. 
Right. Because he because he loves Saturday Night Fever and he wrote and he's written beautifully about it and so has Ebert. And um uh and I I I rewatched it because of because of their their review. But all the all the best reviewers can make you reconsider and 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 they should get you obviously, yeah, you know, if something needs tearing down, it needs tearing down, whatever. But but generally speaking, the best reviews are those ones that get you to rethink, reconsider, rewatch, and and you know you really do. It can unlock an entire film for you. The the right the right mm. uh, review. You just go, oh yes, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's um, magical. So I hope um I hope uh, our uh, musings have done that for people uh, today. You know, um like um our talk of uh, Michael Jackson's penis. All <laughs> 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 of that helps you enjoy yourself. <laughs> A bit more in your life. <laughs> I'd love to talk more about Michael on this show. I think it'd be great. Well, why don't we watch? What? Hey, now how we can do it? What we do is we watch Moonwalker, right? And maybe that gross documentary. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've seen that documentary. Oh, so I yeah. a couple of times. I, have, I haven't. <laughs> do I'm it. living. I'm living in my fantasy land. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I'm just going. And, and he's okay. Are you okay, Annie? That's, <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm doing. I don't care about the other shit. Oh, you don't care about the long gander at the anus. <laughs> well, you know, who are we to judge? You know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's of the Paradise. Now, um, next week, uh, get out your jingle balls, uh, AJ, because it's Carry On Christmas, okay? I'm Carry so on Christmas. excited. And we are going to watch Carry On Camping and uh, Carry On Up the Kyber. Yes. So that would be a good good intro. Hey, Ricky, have you ever seen any Carry On films? No, I don't think I have. Oh, this is going to be good. You are going to love it. This is great. I, so, I, I have an idea in my mind that it's kind of a bit like Benny Hill. Well, you would be correct in that assumption. Okay. Sleazier? The Benny Hill? <laughs> well, I don't know. Look, they just—they both come from the same tradition. Yeah. It's just that, the, and uh, you know, obviously Benny is a bit more of a skit show, but um, but generally, yeah, it's the tone. The tone is is, is exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. yeah. And okay. uh, and so, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. Very good. Well, we said what we said. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh mm. tough crowd this week. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. We did. We did say what we. Said, you know, whenever I don't write as much notes as I should, I always end up saying <laughs> appalling things. I was like, you know, a bit pressed for time, and that's when I end up saying <laughs> stuff about Michael Jackson's dick and you know oh, all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah, right stuff. Anyway, long with the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. Welcome, freaks and geeks, perverts, and other queers. <laughs> My name is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good intro. And other queers. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>